Good morning, everybody. Hey, let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to read this scripture, and then we're going to jump in to our first song this morning. This comes out of Exodus. It's out of Exodus 14. It says, the Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. That's a, that's a great word, this next song. This first song is called Battle Belongs. And so wherever you're at, God is with you, and he will fight battles for you. Let's sing this together in a second. Yes. 
excited again uh, to to celebrate through baptism. Man, God is doing such a great and mighty work in our church, and it seems like every single week uh, we are having a baptism, and so I look forward to this every single time it happens, and we're just praying that God continues to move, and use, Will shared last service uh, that from August, between uh, now and the August of last year, we've had 27 uh, baptisms that we celebrated, and so, man, God's doing a great work. Uh, actually 28, and this will be 29 now, so uh, we're just praising the Lord for what he's doing. But today, we have Miss Kathy Newman. Miss Kathy received Christ in our first service this past week, and she was ready as quick as possible to get her baptism in order. And, and so we are happy and excited that she is boldly following the Lord today, okay? Miss Kathy, have you received Christ as our Lord and Savior? Amen. Because of that profession of faith, I baptize you as my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, washed in the blood of Jesus and raised in newness of life. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray, church. Father, thank you so much. Lord, for this celebration that we're able to have today, thank you for another life that has received you. Thank you for her boldness today, Lord, not to be saved, but, Father, to follow in believers' baptism as first steps of her salvation. And so, Father, we pray that you would do a mighty work in our service today. Lord, we look forward to seeing how you're going to speak to us, how you're going to use us as we leave this place. But, Father, we pray that we are here to meet with you today, and we pray 
pray that you would draw near to us. Father, we love you and we thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Before we continue uh, and, and we sing this next song, I just want to read scripture. This, uh, this is a crazy, crazy, crazy past couple of weeks in our community. And I just want to read scripture as we continue. This comes out of Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Let's read that together. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's go ahead and stand. This next song is called You Never Let Go. No matter where you are, God is with you. And so let's draw near to him this morning. Let's lift our voices and let's worship him. Sing this with us.
hope and our joy and our peace comes only through Jesus. That is the only way that we can stand and know that we can make it is because of Jesus. And so this morning, let's draw near to him. He is here. The spirit is in the room. Let's sing to him. Let's lift our voice and let's remind ourselves that Christ alone is our hope. Sing this with me. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life. My strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease.
Father, we thank you, Lord, for the power in the name of Jesus. God, the only hope, the only peace that we can have in this world, God, is through Jesus. Lord, I pray for people today that bring in all kinds of different things. Lord, some of us are having the greatest weekend that we've ever had, and some of us are having the worst weekend we've ever had. But God, wherever we are, you meet us there. And so, Father, we can cast our cares on you, and you will meet us where we are, God, and you'll minister to us in our time of need. So, Father, I pray this morning that as your spirit's here, and God, we've sang to you, and we've lifted our voices to you. Lord, I pray that you would change people that through the power of the name of Jesus, God, someone would be changed forever because of who you are. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he did for us on the cross. God, we don't take that lightly. Lord, we pray uh, specifically just for today for our pastor to speak, uh, God, words from you alone. Lord, I pray that you would speak through him. And God, we are here for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, amen and amen, man. It is a great to see you guys here. Great to see a house full ready to worship the Lord today. Welcome into our 1030 service, whether you are joining us in person or online. We know that there are plenty that have let us know that they are continuing to tune in for one reason or another. They are continuing to tune in online. Uh, and so we are happy to have you guys as well. Man, God has done such an awesome work in our church and we are excited to celebrate uh, that today. But at the same time, as Will mentioned and referenced, uh, there's, there's a heaviness that there is this week has been difficult, that there's loss, and there continues uh, to be loss. Uh, news of the student that's struggling for their life there at, the, at, at Elkmont, and uh, it, there's just a lot going on in our community. But I was reminded yesterday 
of why we were there because it was encouraging as a pastor to see so many of you serving to meet the needs uh, of, of families that are hurting, that are struggling. And uh, man, you, you guys answer the bell for that all the time. If you're not a part of the loop, if you're not following us on our like, if you haven't liked us on Facebook, do that, but then join the loop. It's the only group that we have and it's how we get information to you guys. And man, when it's posted on the loop, whether it's a prayer request or whether it's uh, something that we've got going on, we need a volunteer quick, man, you have always answered the bell for that. And so I just commend you. We are in the community and, and we are for the community. And so, uh, that is beginning to be something that the community is, is knowing about us. And so that's because of your service in that. And so we are excited uh, for that. But we're in our second week of the Rhythms series. We were talking through the spiritual disciplines. Last week, we talked about the basis of spiritual discipline. We talked about how God's word informs our head, right? It informs our head. It conforms our hands, and it transforms our hearts, right? We talked about how the spiritual disciplines do this. And so if we are just trying to do better or learn more, we're missing a vital aspect of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because disciplines, as we talked about in our home groups this week, is a means to the end of receiving eternal prize, right? It's to the end of eternity. And so our life should not be lived solely with the focus of what's going on in our day-to-day -day life, but we have hope beyond this life as well. And so we talked about that. And in our home groups, we talked about the, the, what's going to be required for us to live a disciplined life. That Paul would say that I beat my body. I, I discipline myself so that I can run this race. I can bring glory to God. Something has flown into my eye. Wow. Was not, that was out of nowhere. Um, and, and we can bring glory to God in everything that we do. But we only do that through the the work of discipline. And so it comes from the motivation of God changing our hearts, but yet it's going to require work. It's going to be difficult at times for us. And so today we get into the specifics of that. Today we are talking about scripture intake and studying God's word for ourselves. We're talking about loving God's law. And so to do that... As way of introduction, I wanted to play a little game. Want to play a little game with you? And uh, everybody, give me thumbs up. Everybody, give me thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Great. All right, everybody, give me thumbs down. All right, this is the only time you're allowed to give me this symbol while I'm preaching. All right, but we're going to play a game. <laughs> we're going to play a game, uh, trying to determine. I will read a passage, I will read a phrase, and you have to tell me if it's in God's Word, if it's in the Bible, or if it is not. If it is, thumbs up. If it is not, thumbs down. And we're going to see who does the best with this. Play at home and let us know what your score is, all right? Uh, number one, here's the first, here's the first one. A liar will not be believed even when he speaks the truth. Will, you're not allowed to play. He was here in the first service. And I'll tell you, anyway, I'll, I'll get to that. All right. A liar will not be believed even when he speaks the truth. Is it in God's word or not in God's word? Give them to me. Thumbs. 
thumbs, in God's word, not in God's word. Don't be looking around. Be confident. Be confident in your answer that you're not sure of, okay? Be confident in your lack of confidence. It's okay. All right. So a liar will not be believed even when he speaks the truth. It is not in God's word. It is Aesop. So the guy that wrote the fables with all the animals and all the the morals, Aesop said that. All right. Here's number two. Cry aloud, for he is probably relieving himself in the bathroom. In God's word, not in God's word. Cry aloud, for he is relieving himself in the bathroom. (laughs) I see so much conversation going on. In God's word or not, it is in God's word. It is. Ezekiel tells the prophets of Baal to try harder with their sacrifice because God's not listening to them. Their God is not listening to them. Maybe he's in the bathroom. That's what he says. It's uh, 1 Kings 18.27. Golly. <laughs> Fact check. Now, it may be the message version, but it is, that is what he says. All right, here we go. She cries herself to sleep at night, tears soaking her pillow. In the Bible, not in the Bible. Some of y'all are not playing. I'm super disappointed. Now, in the Bible, not in the Bible. She cries herself to sleep at night, tears soaking her pillow. It is in the Bible. In the Bible. Well, everybody knows John 3.16, Brenna. I can't just, I can't lob saw. In the beginning, God created the earth. In the beginning, um, all right. Number four, the earth opened its jaws and swallowed them along with Korah's gang who died when the fire ate them. In the Bible, not in the Bible. It is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Numbers 26.10. Becca has missed that question twice. She missed it at home and now she's missed it here. Number five. He will bear thee away onto the houses of lamentation beyond all darkness where the flesh shall be devoured. Some of these are dark. In the Bible, not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. That is the Lord of the Rings. Yep. Number six. Number six. The donkey said, am I not your trusty donkey? In the Bible, not in the Bible. Thumbs, not vocal cords. <clears throat> it is in the Bible. Balaam's donkey, Numbers twenty-two thirty. Balaam's donkey talks to Balaam. Number seven, this is a good one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. In the Bible, not in the Bible. In the Bible, not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. It is, uh, it is uh, uh, something that John Wesley uh, wrote, something that he was given credit for. I guess he wrote it or said it or whatever. Cleanliness next to godliness. So it was a pastor, so, you know, good source, but not the Bible. A fool thinks himself wise, but a wise man knows himself to be a fool. In the Bible, not in the Bible. In the Bible, not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. William Shakespeare. William Shakespeare, to be or not to be in the Bible. All right. I used that joke last service and it went over the same way. All right. 
Number nine. This was back in the day when giants were in the land. In the Bible, not in the Bible. In the Bible, not in the Bible. It is in the Bible. Genesis 6, verse 4. In the day when giants were in the land. Number 10. His touch brought with it the strangest sense of relief. That pain had suddenly ceased. In the Bible, not in the Bible. In the Bible, not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. And I will have you know that your worship pastor knew that it wasn't in the Bible because he knew it was from Twilight. He knew the direct quote of Bella in Twilight. So I informed him that I have never been more disappointed in him as a human being, but especially a man in a long time. All right, ever. Number 11, lastly, how many y'all got? What, how, many, how many points? Anybody got like eight? We had eight in the last, in the last service. We had someone with eight. You got eight? Mm, all right, eight. Last one. Your knives and swords and weapons, you use them against me. In the Bible, not in the Bible. <laughs> it is not in the Bible. That is a Taylor Swift song. So, <laughs> so one, of the, one of our teenagers knew that it was a Taylor Swift song. Great. All right. According to Wycliffe, 1.5 billion people in the world today do not have a complete Bible in their language. This is known as Bible poverty. Right, that they, they don't have the complete Bible in their language. 1.5 billion people do not have a Bible in their native tongue. Even more tragically than that, 167 million people don't have any portion of Scripture translated in their language. 167 million people in the most connected world. In, can you imagine? Think about all the technology that we have. 1.6 million people have not a letter of God's word written in their own language. According to Barna, only 18% of Christians... Read their Bible every day. That's less than one out of five. Even more troubling, 23%, almost one out of four, admit that they have never read their Bible for themselves. They have never taken God's word, opened it, read its truth outside of the context of a church group or a small group. They've never read God's word for themselves. While we have, while, uh, while we have a biblical ignorance in some areas due to no access to God's word, much more of the world suffers from an apathy toward God's word. It's not an access problem for many. For us, we have a Bible in every room of our house. They're collecting dust. It's on every mobile device that we have. Never has the Bible been closer to us, but yet we continue to treat it with apathy. Can you imagine being, I remember uh, our missions pastor, Eric Pugh, uh, a few years ago when we were translating a Bible for a people group, the Ela people group in Africa. I can remember we funded that project and I can remember the first time they brought the first books of God's word to the people 
And one of the pastors said, finally, God speaks my language. I've never heard it in their own tongue. And yet, they're at our, it's at our fingertips. And we treat it with complete apathy. This is what R.C. Sproul says, and I think he's right. We fail in our duty to study God's word. Not so much because it's difficult to understand. Not so much because it's dull and boring. But because it is work. It is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or passion. Although we say it is, don't we? We say, well, it's just boring and it doesn't make any sense. Dude, there's talking donkeys in the Bible. Are you kidding me? Like, that's cool, right? It's not that it's dull. And it's not that you don't understand it. It's that you're not willing to work to understand its truth. It's not... The problem is not that we are, have a lack of intelligence or passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. We are lazy. We want things to be convenient, but I will say this. Nothing worth doing has ever come conveniently. It takes an intentional purpose. I want, you to, I want to read this story to you. This comes from the Spiritual Disciplines for Christian Life. It's my favorite textbook on spiritual discipline. Listen to what it says. A man in Kansas City was severely injured in an explosion. The victim's face was badly disfigured. He had lost his eyesight as well as both hands. He was a brand new Christian, and one of his greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read the Bible. Then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. Hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. And much to his dismay, however, he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had been destroyed by the explosion. One day, as he was trying to read with his lips, one of the Braille pages brushed his, lip, brushed his tongue. And with his tongue, he happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he realized that he could feel them. Like a flashy thought, I can read the Bible using my tongue. The time that Donald Whitney wrote his book, this man that he knew had read the Bible four times in its completion. Man, if you're looking for an excuse, you'll find one. If you're looking for a reason not to read God's word because of your schedule, because of your kids, because it doesn't fit in your time parameters, because you need your sleep, because whatever it may be. You'll find one. But a man that had every excuse in the world loved God's word. And he knew that that was how God would transform his life. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. In fact, Psalm 1 is an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. We're not sure who wrote it. We, we believe it was probably David based on the fact that he wrote a ton of other ones. But we don't know exactly who wrote it. But it serves as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. And as the entire book of Psalms goes, it deals with the love relationship, the delight, the difference between the wicked and the righteous. It's a wisdom psalm and it acts as, as an introduction and it tells us this is what this entire book is about. And we find it in Psalm chapter 1. Follow in your copy of God's word as we read. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. But they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, illuminate your word afresh and anew to us today. Give us a hunger and a desire for your word to transform our lives. May we work toward it. May we not become frustrated. May we not become overwhelmed. But may we be immersed in it. Because this is the word of life. Where else would we go? Father, we love you and we thank you for what you're going to do. In this time, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. First thing we see, when you read Psalm 1, the very first thing that you notice is a comparison. There's a comparison, right? They're comparing different things. One through three sounds very different than verse four and five. It sounds very, very different. They're comparing, number one, two people. Two people are being compared. Listen to Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. This is the blessed man. As we find in, uh, stated very succinctly at the end of the chapter, this is a righteous man. But this blessed man, this happy man, this fulfilled man, people have asked me before, what's the difference between blessed and blessed? To which I respond the way you say it. That's it. That's all it is. You just sound more spiritual when you say blessed is the man instead of blessed, right? It's the same word. And so blessed is the man, fulfilled is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right? And so look at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. So Psalm 1-1, the very first verse, is talking about the righteous man. Psalm 1-5, before the conclusion, you know, Psalm 6, 1-6 is the conclusion for the whole thought. Psalms 1-5, though, is talking about the wicked. So it's comparing two people. There is a righteous person, there is a wicked person. But more than that, there are two pictures. Look at verse 3 and 4. Look at Psalm 1 verse 3. He is like a tree. The blessed man, the righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. This is the righteous man, but it is revealed through a picture of a tree planted with roots. Compare that. So Psalms 1, Psalms 5. Psalms 3 and Psalms 4, we find two pictures. The wicked are not so in verse 4, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. The righteous man is rooted. If you were to go to a friend's house, you would come to my house. We have two trees planted in our front yard. Now, if you're not observant like me, this illustration is lost on you. But typically... If you have trees in your friend's yard and you drive to their house and you see these trees, if you were to show up the next day and those trees were to be removed, what's probably the first question that you're going to have for your friend? What'd you do with the trees? 
Because you know and I know that trees are rooted. Trees are permanent. And if trees are going to be removed, it's because an intentional effort has been made to remove them, right? Why? Because they have roots. But then it says, the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff. They are like tumbleweeds. Or the idea that I have is when I mow my yard, right? I don't always do a great job of like some of you do. And I'm kudos to you. I'm not this way. Some of you blow the clippings off of your driveway when you're done mowing. God has invented this thing called wind, and that does that over time. And so I let that happen. I let the Lord move in my yard. Um, But if you came to my house and there were clippings on my driveway, and then you came the next day and there were no longer clippings on my driveway, you wouldn't say, hey, where did the clippings go on your driveway? Why? Because you would recognize, well, these clippings don't have roots. They've been disconnected from the roots, and they've been driven away by the wind. Nobody asked that because why? Because grass clippings are not permanent. The righteous are rooted. The righteous are planted. The righteous are secure. The wicked are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Not only are there two people compared and two pictures compared, but there's two promises. Listen to the concluding verse, Psalm 1-6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Included in this, God is having his watch care over the way of the righteous. With his notice of their way is his protection over their way. He knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. These are promises in God's word. The righteous will be rewarded. And so... If we're to derive wisdom from this wisdom psalm for our life, the truth is that wisdom sees the reward of righteousness. In your notes, the wisdom sees the reward of righteousness. There's a reward that comes along with living a righteous life. What is amazing to me when we see is the psalmist is really only talking about his physical life. He's not talking even about life after death. In the Old Testament, there is a confusion of what the afterlife looks like. It's why they use words like Sheol and Abraham's bosom uh, because they don't really understand the idea of heaven and hell and the clarity of that doesn't really come to fruition until the New Testament, until Jesus, right? And he begins to bring clarity to some of those things. And so... He's talking about just in his life, in the life, the physical life of somebody, it pays to be righteous. It does not pay. There is punishment to being wicked. And he's placing that very clearly in this comparison. And so wisdom sees the reward of righteousness. But that's not where he ends. That alone is a message. But that's not what he's driving at. He's not driving at character correction. He's not driving at our actions being corrected and being directed in some way. There is something greater that is going on. And it doesn't come until we understand the cause. So two, point two is the cause. Seeing the comparison of the righteous and the wicked bears the question, why? Why is the righteous righteous? Why is the wicked righteous? Wicked. What is the distinction between the two? How do you know if you're right? Because by the way, everybody 
most everybody, when they are making decisions, especially outside of a relationship with Christ, truly believes they are right. They believe it to their death, many of them, right? Believe and are convinced that they are right. So how do we know what is the difference that separates the two? What is it that separates the righteous from the wicked? What's the root and the basis of that righteousness? And so second, in your notes, in your, it's wisdom seeks the roots, the root of righteousness. What is the point? How is one to live a righteous life? If you are here and you are struggling with sin in your life, this is, a, this is an important question for you. How does one live righteously? I don't want to be the wicked. I don't want to be the chaff that's driven by the wind. I don't want to be inconsistent. I don't want to perish. So how do I live rightly? And when we read God's word, we need to read it for what it is. The book of Psalms is a collection of poems, of poetry, some put to music. And we need to read it as such. And it's really important when we look at specifically Psalm 1 because we see some things that the psalmist does that emphasizes exactly what is the cause of righteousness. The first thing we see is he uses a technique called parallelism. All right, read verse 1. When you read verse 1, you see a lot of action verbs, three of them to be specific, right? Blessed is the man who walks, stands, and sits. It's a repetition of three. It's an action verb. These are action verbs. They walk, they stand, they sit. There is another repetition of verbs that we find in verse 3. And in verse 3, talking of the tree, the tree yields fruit. It does not wither and it does not prosper. So verses 1 through 3 deal with the righteous man. 4 and 5 deal with the unrighteous man. And verse 6 sums up the whole chapter. That's the way this is laid out. And in the first three, right, you have the repetition of three and you have the repetition of three. And they are meant to serve almost as blinders to focus on what is between them. This is a deliberate strategy of the psalmist to draw your eyes to Psalm 1, verse 2. Let's read it together. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. This parallelism, three and three, is meant to magnify, is meant to bring to the forefront of your mind. And yes, it provides rhythm, and, and yes, that happens, repetition happens, but it is meant to magnify what is between them, right? If you want to not stand, not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scoffer, if you want to yield your fruit... In due season, if you want to not wither, if you want to prosper in all that you do, how you do that is in between the two. That man delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And that's significant. But that's not all that is happening. Because in addition to the parallelism we see, we also see the poem constructed in a very specific way. Remember how I said verse 1 and verse 5 go together, right? We have the righteous man, the blessed man, and we have 
the wicked man. Right in verses 1 and 5. We see the two pictures in verse 3 and verse 4. Right? We have what's known as a chiasm in poetry. Right? They are comparing thoughts that are separated. And so they work away and then they work back the other way. This is a deliberate attempt. However, there's a problem in the structure of this passage. If, they, if the author is doing that, then he is really messed up. Because there is nothing to compare verse 2 with. There's no delight. There's nothing that this wicked man delights in. The, the, the righteous man, the blessed man, delights in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. But there is no point of comparison for the wicked. And I believe that's exactly the point. The righteous have truth. And the reason why the wicked are tossed to and fro is because there is no truth to be found. And so this chiasm leads the people to go, well, this is ugly. This doesn't fit. This doesn't look right. And to which the psalmist would probably argue that's exactly right. So does a life outside delighting in the law of God. To live a life outside of God's law is not in the intent that God has designed for his people. And so using literary technique, the psalmist is driving home the point that if you are to be blessed, if you are to be fulfilled, if you are to live righteously, then you need to be saturated in the law of the Lord. The word law literally meaning instruction. In the instruction, well, that just makes sense, doesn't it? When we say law, we think of the penalty of law. But literally in the Hebrew, it means the instruction of God. Well, does it not make sense that if we want to live right, we follow God's rules? We follow his instruction. And so we pattern our life after that. But the absolute absence of this source leads us, is what leads the wicked to the path that leads to destruction. And so this is the conclusion. The conclusion is then that everything we read in Psalm 1 should be channeled through the understanding of the delight in God's word and the saturation in it. So, verse 1, when we see the comparison of two people, right? We understand that God's word provides wisdom for us. It provides wisdom. Why will the righteous not associate with the wicked, with the sinners, with the scoffer? Because it has been, the righteous have been instructed by God's word not to do so. They get their marching orders from a source the wicked do not have. Why is the wicked not standing the test of time at the end of time? At the end of their life, why are they going to destruction? And why are they not standing in the counsel of the righteous? Because they live outside of God's law. They live outside of his instruction. For the, for the comparison of the two pictures, God's word provides a sturdy foundation. Why is the righteous like a tree? Because he is rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word. 
It's God's word that grounds him. It's not what he feels. It's not what he thinks. It's not what he likes. It's not what he dislikes. It's not his personality. It's not his charisma. It's not any other thing that we like to rely on. It's not his money. It's not his finances. It's not his children. He delights in the law of the Lord. This is the roots that give him permanence. And why is the wicked like the chaff? Because they have failed to anchor themselves in truth. And they are led astray, as Paul would instruct Timothy, by every wind of doctrine. How does the world get in the place that it's in today? By following its own lead for this long. When the blind follow the blind, they both end in the ditch. And we have the truth. We have the truth. But we keep it to ourselves. So the two people to be understood through verse 2. The two pictures are to be understood by verse 2. But look at the two promises. God's word stands the test of time. Why does God know the way of the righteous? Because the righteous ways are God's ways. Why does he watch over them? Because they're his idea. They're his design to bring fulfillment and lasting pleasure and, and to, uh, to love him. This is God's design. This is how we pursue abundant life. It's his idea. That's why he knows his ways. That's why he watches over those ways. Why will the way of the wicked perish? Because only God's word, not man's word, will stand forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And you may be saying, well, Alan, that don't sit well with me. I don't like to be dictated to what, what's truth for me. To which I would respond, you're welcome to have that opinion. But based on the truth of God's word, that won't stand the test of time. That won't bring eternal life. That way ends in destruction. It's a wisdom saying. It's an issue of wisdom. And so wisdom, in your notes, seals the reason for righteousness. It seals it. It's the wisest choice. And here's what's crazy about this. David is talking about a temporary thing. He's not even necessarily talking about eternity. Those things are unclear to him. David would write things in the psalm like, don't allow me to die before my time. That was like the worst thing he could imagine. That's why he says that because the, he doesn't under, the, the, the Old Testament does not have that understanding of life after death. So the worst thing that could happen is for you to die young. He's saying that without eternity. And we are looking at this text with a brand new light. Because not only has God offered life abundant on earth, and we need to, by the way, we need to push that more. We as the church don't need to be the ones that look like we're raining on everybody's parade. Like, hey, won't you come and live a life of obedience like me? Man, God has called us to pursue the greatest version of life that's found through his law. 
found through his instruction. And if we'll follow that, we don't have to pursue all these other things to make us content and happy because we have it in him. But it's not only in this life. But how much more are the stakes raised for us knowing what awaits those that are outside of God's law? Knowing those that operate outside of his truth. That operate outside of a relationship with him. That because God is holy, though he is good and though he has given us his son, he is also holy. And because your lost loved one, maybe even you in this room, because you have not received forgiveness for your sin or they have not received forgiveness of their sin, the wrath of God is still focused on them, not just in this life, but eternity hangs in the balance. I'm so thankful that I was able to say yesterday, I was able to talk about the relationship that Jesse had with Jesus. Because it brings unspeakable hope. We don't weep as the world weeps. We don't mourn as they mourn because there's hope beyond. My friend, if you don't have that relationship, your way will end in destruction. And we saturate ourselves in God's word, church, so that we can know, we can understand, and we can be effective to communicate that message to a lost and dying world. This is... The design of scripture. This is why we do it. They delight in the law. Not they are obligated to read God's law. Not they, they are compelled to do so. They delight in it. They see satisfaction in it. There are times where it will require work. Y'all, I don't wake up. I'm, the, I'm your pastor and I don't wake up every day just excited to devour God's word. Sometimes I wake up and I want to go back to sleep. Right? Sometimes I wake up and want to snooze. Sometimes I don't have time in my mind. I don't have time to sit down at my dinner table and to read God's word. Sometimes I don't have time to catch up on it when I go into the office. If I've missed it, there at the dinner table. I don't always feel like I have all the time in the world. And y'all, sometimes I read things and I don't understand them. But ultimately, I know if I'm not going to God's word, it's not for either of those two reasons. Because I've grown lazy. My walk usually looks like it. My witness to others look like it. Why? Because God's word is the roots that are buried deep in my heart so that I may not sin against God. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, then I'd invite you to respond to him. Respond to the message of hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Not just in this life. Y'all, there's benefits in this life. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're some giant killjoy for the rest of your life. There's benefits here, but oh, my friend, the benefits in this life to come. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, God, I pray that you would have your free reign in our hearts today. I pray for the one that's struggling with what I've just said. Lord, they, they don't feel it doesn't compute for them that they should base truth 
off of anything other than themselves. God, I pray that they would hear the wisdom of your word. As you inspired the psalmist to write it. God, I pray that they would let go of all that they are so desperately trying to cling and hold on to. And God, they would freely surrender their life to you. What your word calls us to do. That we would call on you as Savior and Lord. And I pray for the one that needs to make that decision. I pray for the one, God, that just needs to put in the work so that they can see how you can, they can delight in your word, how you can reveal yourself to them through your word. They would see it for what it is, that it is the words of life. God, we are so blessed in this country to have access to it. But God, I pray that we would be take the time and be disciplined to be rooted in it. And then I pray that we would do what it says in our everyday life. God, I pray for the one that needs to rededicate their life. Maybe one that needs accountability in a church family and they need to join what God's doing here at North. I pray that you would give them the boldness to come and find me here at the front and to join what God is doing or get their life right, be baptized, whatever the case may be. I just pray that we would do whatever it is that you've called us to do in these next few moments. God, we love you. God, teach us to delight in you. And as we delight in you, may you move us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Would you stand to your feet and we'll have a time of invitation. If you would respond, whatever decision you need to make, this altar's open. You're welcome to come and have a time of private prayer. You're welcome to come find me if you need to make any decision today. But we want you to do whatever it is the Lord is leading you in your life to do as we sing. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch's treasure How great pain of searing love the father turns his face away has wounds which mother chosen bring many sons to glory this next refrain is for you would you come behold the man upon the sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will 
cannot boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. He's death and resurrection. How about you? Would you come? Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Amen. You can be seated. And so if you're here today, the Bible tells us, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so if you're here today and you made a decision for whatever reason you didn't come forward or maybe you're watching online, we've made a way for you to let us know that as well. So those connect cards that are in your bulletins and are also attached to this post online, if you're watching that way, uh, is a way that you can let us know, clue us in on the decision that you've made for the Lord today. You can drop it in the offering bucket, submit it online, and we will follow up with you this week, okay? Man, thank you so much for being here. We've got a couple of announcements and we'll be dismissed, okay? Y'all check it out. Good morning, North family. It's Joseph. I've got a few things for you before you leave. But before we get into our main announcements, I wanted to let you know that tonight we will have a regular student service and our hype night will happen in October. All right, so here's what else I've got for you. First, mark your calendars because we're having a fellowship event on September 19th from 4 to 7 p.m. This will be a potluck event at the Ellis Farms in Leicester. We'll have games and crafts set up, so please bring a chair and let's hang out together. A sign-up form is available in the foyer, so let us know what dish you'll be bringing. And next, our annual mission offering called Give to Go will be on October 3rd. This will be your opportunity to give specifically to our missions budget here at Lindsay Lane North, which supports our missions partners like Neighborhood Bridges, Church at the Oaks, and Favor City Church. We challenge you to pray about how you can partner with us in giving this year. And finally, we have a group of women meeting on September 23rd to pray from 6.30 to 7.30. Ladies, we invite you to join us to pray for each other, our community, and beyond. That's all we have for today. We hope you have a great afternoon, and we'll see you next time. The one thing that I would say about this is I think there are people that try to get an intake of God's Word on the go, like in their daily life, in the flow of their natu- you know, natural life that happens. Um, and, man, I could not disagree more with that approach. If we're really going to get something out of God's Word, and it's going to be something a little below the surface, uh, just just something beyond a surface engagement of reading a passage, we're going to have to break away. we got to get away from distractions. Yeah, so that clip right there was uh, from this week's Wednesday night, Tuesday night home group studies. If you're not in one of those, man, this past Wednesday was a great study that that followed up with what Pastor Allen was talking about as far as spiritual disciplines. And this week, there's going to be another carry-on study about getting into God's Word. You don't want to miss it. If you're not in one of our groups, stop by the, the Next Steps table on your way out and find out how you can get plugged into one of them. All right, this is the time in the service where we give our tithes and offerings. I want to make a quick note here at the front. If you're a first-time guest with us, we never ask our guests to give in cash or check. 
But if you're one of our members uh, and you want to be faithful in your tithing and giving, you can use one of those envelopes in the chair backs in front of you. You can also give on our text option at L- texting LLBC North to 73256. You can also give online at lindsaylanenorth.org. And those of you watching online, thanks so much for tuning in. You can always give to the address at the bottom of the screen. All right. Well, make sure you stop by the Next Steps table on your way out. It's been a great Sunday morning here at Lindsay Lane North. We had a great service in here. It's packed out. We also had a great service at our identical 9 o'clock service. That service has got full child care as well. Uh, So if you haven't checked that one out, you may want to consider it. Uh, That is it for today. May God be glorified in us as we are dismissed to be in the community for the community.